0: And taking a journey um, and uh, through space. And um, we haven't, not literally space, um, although that's uh, Christine's word for this year. But talking about the historic, um, uh, the historic journey of Apollo 11. Um, the flight that landed Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. And um, well, Michael Collins was out there watching, he probably didn't have the best seat in the house. He went all that way and didn't get to go to the moon. But uh, watching that documentary just a couple um, years uh, back that, with, that gave us some new footage um, of that and the kids were just mesmerized. They were just amazed to see such a gargantuan uh, task of transporting men 240,000 miles away to the moon and actually landing somebody on the moon. And it's just so crazy to, to read about that, even today, of reading their stories of how they got to that point and how much training and how much um, study and how much uh, you know, gravity training they had to do to get to that point, to be the elite of the elite, to be chosen this, in, in this fashion. And definitely the highlight for us was watching that, but also watching the kids make spacesuits and uh, they were collecting um, just anything we can find from our house. So we got some huge cardboard boxes. We got uh, just all these coils, these tubes. And then I uh, went on a special trip to Home Depot to get those flex air ducts. You know, those ones that look like silver and they look like tanks? Can I? Yeah, Jake is just like, yeah, yeah, okay, great. Okay, <laughs> well, I-, I can show it to you later, Jake, because it is just so amazing. It was just, I was watching my kids go at it for like two hours and nonstop putting together knots and bolts and, and coils and, and sticking things into boxes. And, and then we topped it off with silver spray paint. And uh, we put the spray paint on it, and my kids, I literally believed that we were going to, to the moon, <laughs> Uh, The kids were just on it. They were on a mission. And the moment they designed their spacesuits and the moment that I strapped them on with a Nike belt, uh, complete with NASA insignias and buttons and uh, oxygen tanks, for a moment there, I believed that I was actually going to go to space, or my kids were going to go to space. For a moment there, I thought they were going to be the astronauts that are going to plant the new American flag, well, not the, plant the American flag on the moon. As I looked at their suits, I believed it too. Until Caleb asked, Joanna, go get your helmet. And Joanna replied and dismissed it. And with a wave of her hand, Jesus said, No, I don't need one of those. And I wonder how many of us believe that we have. The authority of Christ, but we believe something different. Joanna felt that she could be an astronaut without a helmet. It was maybe because she couldn't really fathom this idea that she could be a real astronaut in space, but this real astronaut in space is a real thing. You need to have oxygen to be able to go out into space. And in the same way, I just keep thinking to my mind over and over and over, of what does it look like for Christians who believe, they say they believe that they, in the authority of the Holy Spirit and the authority that Christ has given them on the resurrection of Christ, but yet we don't really believe it. That we think all these things that we read about, about casting out demons and miracles and healings, are only for the spiritual elite, but it doesn't happen to me. I wonder how many of us say that we are Christian, and yet we don't believe that God's gift and authority is with us today. And that's what I'm wondering today, that maybe we are cutting off our spiritual oxygen. And so I want us to plug in our oxygen tanks and with fresh eyes and with a fresh spirit, take a look at this passage that Jesus, and by his grace, gives us. So if you would turn with me to chapter 10, verse 1 through 5. And we're going to see here that we are given the same authority as Jesus. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. In this opening passage, we see that Jesus delegated, um, or called his twelve disciples and delegated authority to them. And it simply says that he has given them exousia or authority, to cast out unclean spirits and to heal. And just in case there's any doubt, he said, every affliction and every disease. And I just want us to pause for that very, very, very moment and just look at the simplicity of the of the passage here. We normally think to ourselves, well I don't have the authority over unclean spirits. And you know there's some diseases that I can pray for healing, but there, there's other diseases I don't I can't touch because of medically, it just seems too much. It seems too big. It seems too difficult and there's other things that I can't do to the scope. But when the scripture speaks to us, it speaks to us very clearly, clearly. And it says this that the scriptures say that Jesus has given the disciples the same power as he had himself. We see that in the simplicity in the text and a lot of times, I think we come from a naturalistic worldview. We come with this idea that this doesn't happen in our day and age because what if we can't see it or prove it or tangibly repeat it in a, in, in a lab somewhere, then we can't believe it. Then we can't see it. Then we're not going to believe it. But scripture tells us that there was no loss of authority when Jesus gave it to his disciples in the first century. And it's not a mistake that Matthew uses disciples here to describe also those who simply have come to know him, as Jake was talking about, about coming to know Jesus and coming face to face with the beauty of Jesus and walking in response to his truth. We are disciples. Can I hear amen? We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, that hasn't changed. Has it changed? It's twenty twenty one. What what year is it? Twenty twenty one, and we're still called. We have the privilege of being the disciples of Jesus Christ, Amen. And I believe that to be true. There is no loss of authority. We're called His disciples. We are reflecting on disciples as interpreting the same thing. As we're called by the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. All that Christ has commanded us, surely Jesus says, I'm not going to, I'm going to include everything. Everything the disciples were taught. Brothers, sisters, Hope family, guests, you just floated in here today. You have been given the same oxygen, if you will, that the disciples have. Surely there are differences in the way that the first disciples were sent out into the culture. Ever the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. And he's a consistent God, right? And one of these ways is that he has given disciples the same authority that he himself has wielded. And just picture this, that Jesus, we saw the heart of Jesus Christ in the heart of our Savior. Back in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, when he wept, when he wept over the crowds at Jerusalem, this compassionate Savior is also a phenomenally consistent Savior, and he is a powerful Savior, and he has the power to cast out spirits and to heal out every source of disease, and he has given it to us. That's a wild thought. It's one that I still wrestle with at at night. Sometimes I still wonder, is that really true? Because the sheer weight of it all, Jesus gives us the same power. But I look at the Old Testament, then I can think of Elijah raising the widow's son. Or in the, Old, in the New Testament, we see the, the apostles taking and telling the lame man, hey man, get off on your seat, get off on your duff and start walking. And he was was healed. And when the people uh, saw this, they were amazed. And then they started teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm sure the apostles were saying, that same power is to you. And they were arrested. And when they were arrested, the people were just kind of wondering, like, what is going on? And in Acts 4.13, these guys were not the spiritually elite. They were not the Navy SEALs. In chapter 4, verse 13 in Acts, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They had recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, if you're still struggling with this and you're also kind of working through this and saying, I don't know if God has given to me these kind of gifts and I don't know how this actually works out, Just remember this, that their disciples' lives were transformed because they were with Jesus. They were just simply with him. And with that, because they were close with Jesus, that has always been the constant, right? If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then Jesus gives us the same authority as yesterday's disciples. And that power is available for today, It's like he's given us a credit card, and he told us you have full, unbridled access and the privileges all that go with it. And he's given us unlimited access to his spiritual bank account. Don't tell my kids, right? Um, We were just uh, looking through, and Christine is teaching over, and the kids, and we were just checking out the coin collection, right? But I didn't tell them about the real coins that I had (laughs) in my in my box. But Caleb. Joanna and Ezra and Ian, they have access to all that daddy has. Doesn't mean they can use it at this point. But I'm willing to give it to them when the Lord gives them that. But they are authority because they are my kids. You know, it doesn't mean that if you're a first century believer, you can get a $50,000 limit. You know what, 21st century believer, no, you can only get a $500 limit. You've got to work up your FICO score and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't work like that. Instead, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it's like I'm handing all the coins back to my kids and saying, go at it. This is yours. It's all yours. You are handed all the rights and the privileges in the same way. That's the spiritual authority that Jesus gives us. And the difference is really how we exercise it. Do we really believe of this spiritual authority? And that's the same one that was given to the first century disciples. Um, I've heard Peter say this and I've heard others say this, but that if we want a paradigm shift of really believing that we have this the spiritual authority, we need to have a, a practice shift. In other words, we've got we to gotta start doing that. We've got to start exercising it, and we've got to start even doing it, even if we're scared of making mistakes or scared or, uh, uh, of, of, of saying the wrong thing or, or scared of just messing up. I've been there. I'm still messing up. I'm still um, going through those things. But you know what? I've been so much so grateful because the more I'm beginning to see that Jesus has given us spiritual authority, and we don't really, we don't wield it. You know, I used to have a Christianity where these things, healing and casting out spirits, were just, were just optional. But over these past years, these couple of years, I've just been getting to see that it's not just a, an optional thing, but it's a vital thing because this is on the forefront of Jesus' calling to his disciples, and I'm still walking this out. This is not of somebody who has, has it, but it's somebody who's just wanting to walk in out and pursuing Jesus in this and actively saying, God, I want to see this happening. I want to do it now out of my intimacy with you, and I want to do that because I want to be close to you. I want to know your heart, but I also want to see you move. I want to see you heal. I want to see you do miracles and powerful acts that people can say, glory to God, glory to King Jesus, he is all that we need and that they would rest their truth and their trust in him. I'm not a healer, but I realize that God is gracious to heal whomever he wants to. And when he wants to use me, he can. But I think I've moved from God can to God wants to use me. And he he wants that to be something that I'm pressing in. And I think he wants us to be able to, to, to press in on that too as well. And it just means that we're just called to trust that God is still doing these things and wants us to be a part of it and just join him. Um, I'm, just, I'm just really learning all that. And um, as I recognize that unclean spirits are not the cause of every sickness or disease, there are times where I need to pray. There are times I need to exercise the authority over Jesus, uh, Jesus over me, over my wife, and over my kids, I'm learning that Jesus has the sole authority. There are things that I let in my life that, that give rise for the enemy to, to do whatever he wants and jump all over me. But when I pray, it's different. Because I'm going to go, because I have the authority of Christ, I'm going to say, Jesus, you have the authority over my family. You have the cosmic authority over the universe. You are in charge. God, I ask God, that you would bring protection over my kids tonight. And I'm trying to grasp that authority as a father and just praying against the enemy in every way and just saying, Lord, if I'm sensing any spiritual attack to learn to to trust what the Lord has given me and just say, God... um, I'm feeling this, and it could be wrong, but I'm just praying on the offensive, and I I just want you, God, to be in charge of my kids. And so I pray against the flesh and the enemy and the world. and, And God, you have that authority. So have this authority over my home and over my kids. When they're kind of mouthing off, or when they're rebelling, or when they are doing something, I'm being taught to realize that not everything is just a physical cause, or just an emotional cause, or just because. It's just a kid, but maybe there's something that the enemy is trying to do, and I pray into that. And uh, it's really cool because as I've been praying, I've been noticing kind of a shift with my kids, and um, now my kids are beginning to feel and ask for prayer um, and not just ask for Tums um, or ask for a a medicine. And so I remember one time when Caleb was dealing with a stomach flu, and um, he came to me, and I was so blessed because, you know what, the first thing he said, Daddy, can you pray for me? Okay, pray that God would heal my tummy. And so I prayed for him and that God would heal him. And I think my words were something like, God, I pray that you would expel this sickness. Well, he did because he literally threw up uh, about three times. (laughs) Actually, yeah, it was about three times. (laughs) And I think um, after the third time, I was like, okay, God, I get it. I, get it. I, I see that you answered my prayer. Not exactly the way that I, and, and he was just like, Daddy, I don't know if you want to pray again. Um, but um, he's beginning to see that. He's just beginning to see that there's a spiritual battle. And that's what I want to disciple our kids. And that's what I want to see us discipling our kids and saying, like, there is, we can trust our, our authority to one whose name is above every name. Just what we're saying today, he has every victory, and his name is King Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so while Jesus always has, and he always has called disciples to himself, I think we need to make the distinction. When you take a look at the back of the text, Matthew chapter 10 does say that these men are also uh, the people that have served as apostles. The first is Simon, who is called um, Simon Peter. And um, what we see about Simon um, is that he was the leader among leaders. In Hebrew, it means hearing. And, 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 and also later, he was nicknamed The Rock, so Dwayne Johnson can move over because he had the foundational uh, role in establishing the church. And what we see here, um, of all these disciples, his brother, he and his brother Andrew was fishermen. Um, his brother Andrew, also, uh, really quick, his name was manliness. Um, that's what it meant so i'm like oh yeah that's good you know i want to see that preached at a you know a men's retreat because he was obviously the epitome of manliness then you've got james who was a galilean fisherman he was executed by the state in AD 44 and you got people who worked for rome like matthew who was writing this book and and then he was a tax collector and he was seen as enemies but he gave up all that fortune and fame and he gave it up to follow jesus then you have a guy with extreme political leanings, Simon the Zealot, which possibly led him to engage in some, possibly some acts of terrorism against the Roman government. And I love what this one commentator says. He says, quote, Any other occasion these men might have been ready to stick a knife into each other, <laughs> but here they are, all a part of one group around Jesus. They're all ordinary guys with tempers, trades, and varying political persuasions. They had diverse backgrounds, um, ethnic, racial, and yet they were all called to discipleship of Jesus. Isn't that great? Just the great diversity of this group of people reminds us that there's great diversity of giftings of the body that leads to great gospel impact. And then also we see um, there's something foundational in this list. Um, Mark, in Mark's gospel, we see that the disciples were sent out two by two. But when you look at the, the text, you see that they're actually grouped also in three groups of four. And at the front, and every list. There's four times this list is is repeated in Scripture in the four Gospels. And every single time, the order is maybe slightly different. But the one thing that doesn't change, it's the first person that heads off each of those three groups. Simon Peter, Philip, and James. And this suggests that the, the 12 were organized into smaller units, each with a leader. And the 12 display um, just this remarkable personal diversity, but also this unity in that they were doing this together. They were working out the particular gifts of the Spirit in the, the, in, in the context of the body. And that's why we do it together. We're never lone rangers and never lone Christians when it comes to these things. We do it because we've been transformed by Jesus, but also we are transformed by the body of Christ that's why last Friday this past Friday was just absolutely amazing it was just an incredible gift and that was birthed in the hearts of people like Eddie and Kara and Jacqueline and Peter of just having a space for worship a place for prayer and also a place for us to walk and to have some just quick hit teachings on on how we walk faithfully through the gifts And it was just incredible because we got to pray and we got to worship and we got to hear testimonies of how God answered prayers even in that time. And as we prayed for these things, for God to speak to us about church and for each other, it was just amazing. And I think this is just going to be so key as we move forward, that Jesus has given us authority um, individually as disciples, but he's also won us to do it just like the disciples did in community, using our diversity to advance his kingdom. Well, we're given the same authority, but also, really quickly, we are given the same calling. Um, what we see here in verses 5 through 15, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We see an interesting prohibition here. Why would Jesus say, just only go to the lost sheep of Israel? Well, I think. And why would Jesus even prohibit this? Because you think about the early apostles. It's not like they would have gone willingly to Gentile territory. Because remember, Jews and Gentiles, they didn't mix. And so what is happening here is that Jesus is probably destroying any doubts whether he was truly the Messiah. He wanted to make it known first among his own people. Because that was how God's word laid out his redemptive plan that the message and the mission was going to go to Israel first and that they would be in a demonstration to the nations, but it would go out from the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So what he's saying here is that these are the last days, guys, and Israel, you better listen up. This is a warning for you. Listen up because your Messiah is here. And what does he tell the the disciples to do? Well, he tells the disciples, you have a message and you have a mission. That message is to share that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you're going to do it through how? So proclamation, but also demonstration, right? You're going to do it by healing the sick, and raising the dead, and cleansing the lepers, and casting out demons, right? And so the person of Jesus Christ, as we see it, is foundational here, because not only the kingdom of heaven is a message, but it's found in the person, the person of King Jesus Christ, the one who took out Satan's rebel kingdom and established it with his own kingdom by coming in and invading this world that has been infiltrated with brokenness and sadness and pain and racial injustice, as we've been seeing in the news, and suffering and disease. And he's come in to invade it and give his life as a ransom for many, to die for fallen image bearers that should have lived in his kingdom, but have been fallen and have been soiled by sin and rebellion. And he's died on the cross as an exchange for our sins and and my sins. And he died to bring forgiveness and to bring us the righteousness that we needed to be a part of that kingdom so that we can be a part of turning hearts and minds toward King Jesus. And so this is what the message was. And the disciples had to just demonstrate radical dependence on on their mission. Um, What we have to see here and what we'll see just really quickly is that the disciples had to be dependent on God in three things. On their money, and that's in verse 8 through 9. You receive without paying, give without pay, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. And then travel provisions, so it's like don't take a bag for your journey or two tunics or a sandal or a staff. Labor deserves as food. In other words, don't go out thinking that you're going to pack a suitcase. Go out and be prepared to be a, a, a kingdom. Liver and don't give it an appearance that you're doing anything else other than living for the kingdom. Can you imagine that? Have you ever went to a trip and just said, you know, I'm not going to worry about uh, uh, about food. I'm not going to bring my wallet. I'm not going to bring my driver's license. I mean, this is what he was saying. You need to show radical reliance on God in your food, in your travel provisions, and then also look at verse eleven through fifteen. In your lodgings, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment um, for the, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So it's very clear; they were not meant to look haphazardly, but they weren't meant to go out and, and book an Airbnb either. But they were going to look for the person that God led them to to give them that hospitality, and and the people who stayed who or who welcomed them would show that they were worthy. If they weren't worthy, if they rejected their message, rejected them, rejected their hospitality, they were supposed to shake off the dust when they left the town. Wait, wait, isn't that so contrary to what Jesus said about loving your enemies? Well, what we can see and what we can make sense of this is that this was spoken to unbelieving Jews. And the Jews had generations and generations of chances to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. But rejecting the disciples' message, especially one who has come from the king himself, was seen as such a serious sin. One that was more grave than Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah were the provincial epicenters of rebellion. But these, for these cities that rejected the message of the disciples... The judgment's gonna be unbearable. This underscores the authority of Jesus Christ. And it underscores the authority of the Jesus that you represent. Do we have such a high view or a low view of the Jesus who is King? Have we worshiped Jesus enough that we're responding in just utter reliance on Jesus? You're disciples. You're called to live out as message bearers and messengers for the kingdom. And you're called to live on it with full reliance on Jesus Christ. I believe God's message for us is uncomfortable, it hurts us. But at the same time, I know it makes us holy. I know God wants us to challenge us today. It's a life lived. If you are thinking about the Christian life, it is lived in radical dependence on God. It is lived in radical repentance for sin because God convicted me even on Friday of fear. And he was able to really just speak into me and saying, no, I want you to challenge you and I want you to press in like you've never had before because this is the message of the kingdom and you have the authority of the risen Savior To press in on mission. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're going through such a hard time, a transitional time in which you are struggling under the weight of a transition or financial issues or struggles that are you're going through. Remember, Christian, you're called to rely, to cling on to Jesus and press on in mission. Let's remember the authority of Jesus Christ in the midst of everything you're going through. And and as you journey together, remember that he is with you. As I invite the worship team to come up, and um, as I invite you all to stand, and as we go into a prayer time, um, just reminded of just the prayer time over Shao tonight. And just uh, if you know the story, but it's pretty awesome that Paul, Paul Wyatt, had brought Shao the gospel seven years before. He had spoken the gospel to him, but only seven years later, that's when... Shao um, came into contact with Chris and Keegan, and I think they were, like, fixing the car. And uh, he asked a question on the car, and before you knew it, they brought Shao to hope, in which he came face-to-face with Paul White. <laughs> and it was just so amazing because he knew then that God was speaking to him, and he was faithfully pressing in on mission and faithfulness. And it's so amazing, Shao, to see you pressing on in mission as you have been in Houston, and to be faithful as you go back. And I pray that for all of us for hope. And let me pray that over us as we close out our time, and also as we enter into a time of worship and post-sermon prayer. Lord, thank you so much, God, for this time. Thank you so much that you are a God who is a powerful, powerful God. Lord, we are called your disciples. We are called with the same authority that you've given the first disciples. And we serve the same risen Jesus who is still calling us out on mission. And we're called with a message. Father, I pray that we would be bold and uncompromising in our message. I pray that if there's things that we are sorting out, if there are things that we are struggling through, help us to know both your compassion, but also to know that you have challenged us and confront us with our idols to repent and to come before you. Thank you, Father. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.